it's time for Fred Harrison back on The Renegade Economist, our most prolific author in the Georgist movement. Over 16 books he's been involved with over the last 30 odd years. And Fred is non stop at it. He's uh, working in Greece, Spain, Scotland, you name it, he's there. He's got his Geophilus YouTube channel. He's got new documentary on the go, a new book coming up. So it's high time we had Fred back on the show. Fred, welcome back to the Renegade Economist. Thank you. Hello, Carl, and best of greetings to everyone down under. Very good. Well, uh, the last few weeks we've been toying around with technology and how that's going to affect our future. And I just wanted to throw it at you, Fred. Do we have natural rights or common rights? Well, I think the whole rights agenda needs to be radically reappraised. Over the last 400 years, the human rights agenda was essentially hijacked by what we might generally call the rent seekers. They needed to bend the the concept of human rights and natural rights uh, in a way that neutralized any criticism of the unfair system that we have. Uh, So uh, natural rights fell out of favor with philosophers and lawyers and uh, the law courts and so on. And um, that's been at the expense of of people in general. So we need to revisit the whole human rights agenda because I don't believe that what passes as declarations of universal rights, as with the UN Declaration, etc., the, the European Convention on Human Rights, I don't believe they serve people's best interests at all because the language has been manipulated in a way that preserves the unequal distribution of resources that we now have. We need a new language, in other words, or to recover old language. Now, if that means going back to uh, natural rights theory and even the language of the holy scriptures in order to try and define a more just uh, system uh, for modern society, then so be it. So, Fred, do private individuals have a right independently of the state to own land and other resources provided by nature? The state is a uh, relatively modern construct. It's a functional arrangement to suit people's needs. People's needs come before the rights of the state. So, yes, in my view, people have, uh, whether you call it a natural right or a common right, their rights are superior to whatever the state ordains. The state is just a convenient political vehicle for organizing uh, resources for people in uh, specific spaces. But unfortunately, we now have allowed the state to be hijacked by a group of people whose interests are best served by monopolizing power and subordinating the majority. And um, so we need to resurrect the notion of uh, whether you call it common rights or, or, or natural rights to resources, whatever. The fact is that without the, those rights to uh, the life-giving resources, uh, our existence uh, is qualified they're subordinated to whoever exercises arbitrary power through the state. 
and that has to be challenged and that's why i'm suggesting that we need a radical revision of exactly what we mean by the human rights agenda some call it earth rights and one of the more powerful demonstrations of this right to a place on the earth is demonstrated by the law of rent. Fred, can you explain to us uh, your layman's version of the law of rent? Yes, and uh, here we come up against some difficult or rather awkward terminology. Uh, you refer to earth rights. Well, I've grown to realize over the last, well, the best part of 50 years that the language that we use has been bequeathed to us by the very people who do not have uh, the social interest or the welfare of everybody at heart. Uh, the language has been skewed so that, uh, for instance, we talk about land rights and the rent of land, which is only part, if not a very small part today, of what we actually mean. Let's look at this word earth rights or land rights, okay? Uh, we're saying that um, each of us has a natural right of access to, and this is where we say land, and we uh, argue that the economic income, the rental value of land is somehow sacred and should be apportioned equally among people in general. Well, I don't deny that, but here's the problem. The rent of land is not actually in the main today in modern societies a measure of just the services of nature of land. Rent is a composite. It's a value of the services provided both by nature yes and that's land but also by society and in melbourne or london the bulk of what we call the rent of land is actually created by the services of the community of people not nature and so here we have one of those uh, awkward semantic uh, problems where we by concentrating on the notion of land or earth we are actually cutting ourselves off from the argument that we've been deprived of access to the community, to society. So when the land grabbers of old actually stole the land, what they did was to take more than the land. They took society away from people in general. And that's what really makes me livid today, that the injustice of the past has resulted in segregating people, most people, away from what we might call an authentic community, a people-centered community. So what do I mean by land and rent? Well, uh, land, as I say, is a composite, or rather rent is a composite value. It's the value of the services of nature, without which we could not live at all biologically, but it's also a measure of the value of the services of society and without the access and equal access to the services of society we couldn't exist as human beings we define ourselves as members of the commons meaning not just the commons uh, land but the commons uh, society culture language psychology all these things are part of the commons and by just narrowing the focus in our terminology to land, earth rights, and the rent of land, we're actually 
ignoring a whole area or realm of our existence which we need to re-access if we are to fulfill ourselves as human beings. So this community-created ground rent is really a, a key identifier of the health of a community and unfortunately so much of that is going into the hands of the 0.01 percenters rather than the wider community. Now Fred we've got a couple of horizontal pressures coming through and that is the use of robotics is is set to steam ahead at the same time we have climate change reducing the amount of arable land out there. So uh, if we talk about this law of rent, technically the, the margin of land where the rent is set, how do you think these trends are going to play out in the future in regard to wages? These innovations are part of a trend that began with the agricultural revolution. With the progress through uh, new techniques for increasing the productivity of land and then the productivity of capital and labor in urban-based civilization, we find that through the market mechanism, each innovation appears to raise the product of the population, but the condition of most people tends not to improve, and that's because... Uh, with each movement forward, as with the current uh, phase of artificial intelligence and the use of robots to cut costs and increase productivity, if those gains are not uh, plowed back into the community uh, for the common good, then they end up increasing the wealth of a relatively few people and used against the majority. You see, the, the general process is uh, rather elementary. Ricardo neatly summarized it theoretically 200 years ago, which is that through competition, the returns to labor and to man-made capital are equalized across the territorial uh, economic space. They're equalized so that people's wages at the center of the economic system tend to be roughly the same as those out in the outlying districts. But the productivity rises exponentially at the economic center through the innovations and the latest being the exploration in artificial intelligence and the use of robots. Now, when uh, those innovations come on stream commercially, they raise productivity. But that productivity tends to, because of the competition in the marketplace, uh, get captured as rents, the rents of location, the rents of urbanization. Uh, and if those rents are not shared equally, if the benefits of progress are not equalized, then uh, instead of these progressive trends being to everybody's uh, benefit and used benignly for the common good, they, turn, they tend to be turned against everybody because the wealthier a, a few, relatively few people become, the more hostile they are to the general interest. So... Uh, on the basis of the current laws for distributing income uh, and the property rights that uh, are associated with the ownership of uh, the favored locations, trends like uh, robotic innovations and so on will end up being hostile to the common good. Uh, so one has to be fearful. Uh, 
in fact, uh, mankind is now reaching the point where with the use of robots, we can begin to dispense with people. We don't need them to work in factories and in our service industries. And they're even talking about robots to care for old people. Well, in that case, where are these people who are redundant going? How are they going to survive? Where will they find employment? Uh, they're just redundant. And that's the prospect we face with this, uh, the, the rush to invest in research and development in uh, artificial intelligence. What we're effectively saying is that the rent seekers will reign supreme and the rest are just not needed. Well, in the old days, we could export uh, people from Europe to uh, Australia and New Zealand because we didn't need them in Europe. We could get rid of them, shove them on the boats. But where do we now send uh, people who are redundant in Australia or New Zealand? They can't come back to Europe because we've already got a problem of migrants coming in from Africa. We can't send them to the moon yet. We are facing a huge catastrophe. And uh, the policymakers just don't know. They can't even ask the right questions, let alone figure out the solutions. And the solution is a simple one. All the benefits that arise from these innovations should be plowed back as rents into the community. And if that happens, we get a new kind of social system emerging where innovations are for the common good instead of hostile. We're talking with Fred Harrison from sharetherents.org.uk. Fred Harrison on the state of life on planet Earth here in 2015. So, Fred, I'm interested in something I'm tracking, and that is this policy adaptation floating between the Anglosphere largely and uh, the the neocon agenda. And some of the things that we've experienced here in Australia, we had a policy called the First Homeowners Grant, which actually goes back to the 60s, but um, post uh, the global financial crisis, it played a big role in keeping Australia uh, out of those sort of recessionary pressures. Now in the UK, there's the Buy to Let campaign. Um, We've also had talk here of um, using superannuation as a a, a foot in the door for first homeowners. Um, What are some of the trends that you're seeing um, floating uh, between nations that are dangerous and reflective of this immense power rent seekers have? Because economists of note uh, should know that these will only inflate land prices and lead to greater inequality greater pressures on government services. Well, Carl, your description is as good as it gets, actually, in terms of the concentration of policy to favour investment in real estate. Uh, The one quibble with your uh, presentation that I would make is that, (laughs) unfortunately, the experts, the economists and the politicians don't actually understand the implications, the macroeconomic and social implications of what they're proposing because they don't actually think in terms of land values and they certainly don't interpret trends in land values correctly to understand that what to them is a a happy outcome, namely an increase in property prices, is actually a fearsome warning, a red alert, that something seriously wrong is happening in the economy. Uh, Yes, uh, you're correct. Policymakers throughout the world now 
are concentrating on trying to get growth as quickly as possible. And the statistics that show growth are those that indicate property prices rising fast. That is interpreted as economic growth and therefore good news. And so it helps the politician seeking re-election. But all these devices to encourage people to buy into property, to get on the property ladder, is actually building an even more intense crisis for the future. So if it's true that we have a land value cycle, which we do, that uh, enables us to predict uh, turning points in business activity, then uh, because of the emphasis on encouraging people to uh, invest in property, we will see an even greater catastrophe than last time. In the last cycle, we saw the death knell of the the, the rent-seeking culture in the form of uh, subprime mortgages. We just, the banks just pushed more and more people who couldn't afford to buy houses into buying houses just so they could squeeze those extra few few bucks out of the low-income people uh, through the mortgage process. It's happening all over again, but this time, instead of it being low-income people, it's the first-time buyer who is the scapegoat uh, who is being squeezed as hard as possible, and uh, they will be at the forefront of the next economic catastrophe. I'm just wondering how much further this policy fraud has to go because uh, now uh, we have a situation in Australia where the length of our mortgages is sliding out to 40, even 50 years and of great concern to me and I'm wondering whether it's starting to trend into the UK is the latest form of uh, derivatives, the latest weapon of mass deception. That's rental-backed mortgage securities where the renters, the rental income stream pays back the derivative holders and this basically finances uh, the, the next round of, uh, of subprime-like uh, property sharks to buy and hold real estate and then flip these typically uh, single uh, dwelling units on large blocks of land in probably another seven or eight years for a, a huge markup. Yes, well, that is... Uh, the trend, the easiest profit, the the lowest risk asset is real estate. So you you see the um, investors and the sovereign wealth funds uh, from around the world gravitating towards those financial instruments that uh, give the surest uh, return, which is, happens to be from the rents uh, of um, property, what they perceive to be the lowest risk. And at the present time, with precious little going into capital formation that creates jobs to produce goods and services, uh, the the, uh, optimum investment asset is real estate. So that's where the financiers are gravitating towards and doing exactly as you described, trading in um, instruments that uh, rely on rents, uh, because at the moment, in reality, there's not much else happening. Uh, interest rates are so low across the world. Investment in productive enterprises is inadequate to sustain full employment. So what else are they to do? So what we have, you see, Carl, is the final death throes of a cannibalistic kind of economic activity. It's devouring itself now. Uh, Instead of devouring others, 
and, and lapping up the opportunities that others create, innovate, with all that creativity and innovation basically gone, it can only now turn in on itself and feed on itself. So uh, in a very meaningful sense, we're seeing the end game of the rent-seeking culture. It's devouring itself. Well, I wonder uh, what sort of trick they're going to pull out of the hat next. And uh, I'm seeing that interest rates are going to be low for a long time to come. The race to the bottom in globalization on the back of uh, increasingly sketchy inflation statistics. I mean, the the imputed value of land is not included in uh, our inflation rates, so uh, that's a concern. And from that, this this is encouraging this huge land bubble to kick into place yet again. After the next bust, what are they going to do? What's going to be their, their calling card, do you think, to bail out of the next one? Governments are, uh, are out of options. Uh, they are throwing the dice now knowing that if it happens again, uh, they've got no fallback position. Uh, the so-called quantitative easing, the uh, essentially the pumping out of you know, hundreds of billions of dollars and euros and pounds to shore up the financial system, was uh, an act of desperation because there was no, they had no creative alternative that would make sense out of the chaos which the financial system itself had created. So when you say uh, when the next big bus comes, how will they get out of it? They will just try and, and have more of the same. But since everybody now knows that more of the same means that uh, the next crisis will be caused by the pumping out of money uh, without directing it into real enterprise-creating productive activities, uh, people will not be convinced uh, that there can be salvation in whatever the governments do. So there is no no, um, fallback position, no plan B. They're stuck with what they're doing now, and and we can see that, that there's this... Uh, crisis in uh, imagination because uh, institutions like uh, the Bank of England or the Federal Reserve in the US are scared about coming off the adrenaline of the quantitative easing, the pumping out of uh, fake money, uh, the placing of all the responsibility, all the the costs on taxpayers. Uh, They're scared of coming out of this model because they know that if things go wrong again, they they have no fallback position. As the author of The Corruption of Economics, written way back in the 1980s, uh, we had uh, the Queen asking the London School of Economics in 2008-9, you know, how come you guys missed it? What's wrong with the economics profession? Fred, are you seeing any signs that the, the academic powers behind the economics profession, are they starting to realise that uh, this rent-seeking culture is really taken over from democratic powers and shining giant holes through the current economic theory? No, in a word, there, there is no greater understanding. The concept of rent-seeking is thrown about by academics, but they, they tend to use it in terms of corporations trying to lobby to get special privileges in trading agreements or whatever. Uh, they don't 
uh, understand that rent seeking should be taken literally to mean the rents of the economy. Uh, there are signs, uh, particularly in um, places like Scotland, I make that sound as though there are other places, but frankly, I don't think there are. In Scotland, uh, there is a growing awareness of the need for land reform and financial reform. And the uh, Scottish government has actually created a commission to investigate uh, the, the prospects for property tax reform, but also taxation in general. So there is hope that uh, by working away uh, and meeting the needs of a population which in general realizes that there's something wrong with property rights and uh, the whole land agenda and taxation, we might be able to create a model of comprehension uh, that other countries may turn to for enlightenment. Um, but in general, no, academics are still uh, plowing their old tired and failed furrows. And uh, that's one of the tragedies of, of our civilization, that the knowledge exists. And yet uh, this one whole area uh, of vital knowledge of evidence is just simply ignored by the people who presume to instruct governments on, on best practice. We're talking with Fred Harrison from sharetherents.org. And Fred, um, I notice on your blog you've got a, a post up here about Prince Charles and he, he identifying this culture of greed and having to really step into that and address this issue. But should he be looking at that layer deeper in this pursuit of unearned income that really defines what this rent-seeking culture is all about? Well, he should be. He, uh, he's an interesting character because he knows there's something fundamentally wrong with the social system, but he's part of the establishment. He is a landowner in his own right, and this is where the psychological crisis comes in. He wants to do things like have a sustainable system, but if you tell him that you can't have a sustainable system if the rents that a society creates are privatized, he won't understand what the heck that means. He wants, uh, he genuinely wants to, to improve the quality of people's lives. But uh, he is a landowner who makes a big profit out of buying and selling land. So psychologically, he cannot allow himself to enter into what is dangerous territory, namely uh, recognizing that rent-seeking is actually the basis of a malevolent culture that is cannibalizing the very culture that he is seeking to enrich. It can't be done. So he, he's, he's in a quandary. Uh, and I wrote that particular article because one of his predecessors did seem to have uh, an understanding, that's Charles I, uh, of the role of rent and the need to preserve people's rights of access to land. And uh, so I, I was raising the question, might he somehow be helped to understand the, the real significance of the rent of society, uh, I don't know. You've been working in Scotland. They recently had their independence vote there, a narrow loss that, on that front, but uh, you're suggesting there are some healthy democratic signs at work there. Yes, the people are asking questions about uh, the legitimacy of property rights in land, and the government itself has initiated a commission to investigate uh, possible reforms to the tax regime. 
So uh, civil society there is uh, flourishing and seeking to offer answers to these questions and going beyond what the academic community can actually say. Though, to be fair, there are a few top-notch Nobel economists who are advising uh, the Scottish government who do say that actually what we need is a shift in the structure of uh, government revenue away from the taxes on labor and onto the economic rents that is created by society. I'm hoping that if we can develop a coherent model of action for Scotland, that it can then be replicated in the uh, societies like Spain and Greece, where people are devastated, where unemployment for, uh, among young people is still at the level of 50%, where suicides among young and old people are still at record levels through desperation. Um, we see the chaos in Greece where they the new government uh, it simply doesn't know how to get out of the impasse that Greece finds itself in. Uh, and so there is a model for getting us out of the catastrophe that the whole world got locked into uh, as a result of the crisis of 2008. It's a model based on rearranging uh, property rights and the distribution of income and uh, the quality, the fabric of our communities based on re-socializing the rents that we all create and getting rid of the taxes that are actually burdens on people who want to go and work. That model exists, but uh, in my view, advocates like me who have been promoting this model for decades now have not quite pitched it in the kind of language that resonates with people. So I'm still working at that coal phase, but I'm trying to re-articulate uh, the model of rent sharing in a way that I hope will make sense to folk who are now rebelling at the electoral boxes where they go to tick uh, who they want to elect. They're the people who need to understand that if we want to make a breakthrough, then well, they, that is most people, that includes me, are actually at the heart of the problem. As landowners, as homeowners, we need to understand that we need to take the uh, first step in making the change, because only then will governments actually decide that, yes, they've got the courage to rearrange the tax regime. So, Fred, uh, in closing, you've got a new documentary coming out called Bosnia Rising. Give us the praise of that one. In the spring of last year, there was an eruption right across Bosnia and Herzegovina. People rebelled and uh, burned down government buildings because they'd had enough with uh, corrupt privatization of state assets and the rest of it. And I was invited over to uh, explain the economic model that would get them out of their mess, which is that all we need to do is scrap the bad taxes on labor and uh, capital and draw revenue from the rent of land. And uh, Vanessa Redgrave put her production company's services at my disposal. We produced a film, and it's being shown in universities in New York and Toronto in the next few weeks. And uh, we hope to get a debate going because the, the model that might rescue the Balkans from the crisis that they're in is also needed in whether it's the United States, Canada, or Europe, or Australia. And your next book, you're talking about uh, trying to 
break this language further down into uh, Russell Brand-type uh, sound bites. Uh, uh, your last book was called The Traumatised Society, and I remember our, our uh, interviewer on that book, uh, you finished off saying, look, it's a hard job we've got here. Uh, someone as powerful as Winston Churchill couldn't even get this up. But uh, here you are again, ploughing away. Uh, the title of this one is another cheery title, Fred, uh, As Evil Does. Yes, and in this I seek to make the language of economics, concepts like um, uh, rent-seeking, more accessible to general readers. They need to understand that they've been ripped off for centuries now by people who stole the land from them, and in stealing the land they stole society, so that we no longer live in authentically people-centered communities. People need to understand that in the language that they can use to express their anger while having a pint of beer in the pub. And so I'm now um, trying to avoid the pompous phrases that I used in my previous books to discuss uh, these very simple concepts, actually, uh, very clear ideas in language that makes sense to guys over a pint of beer. Well, Fred, uh, I, I'm sure uh, you, you have fun uh, having a beer, coming up with these these titles, uh, The Corruption of Economics, The Power in the Land, Boom Bust 2010, Silver Bullet, and now As Evil Does. Fred, fantastic to have you here on The Renegade Economist. We're talking with Fred Harrison from ShareTheRents.org. ShareTheRents.org. And, of course, we stopped recording and then we kept going, didn't we, talking about where Australia's at now and the China. Rest, did you, uh, sort of after 2008? Mm. That would be be because China was still buying your natural resources, so you still had the rents flowing in from that. But now China has cut back uh, on its consumption levels of, of natural resources. That's where the crisis is for Australia, presumably. Yeah, that, that's right, and I kind of feel that we're going to limp on till 2019-ish, that sort of framework, and then perhaps uh, we'll have run out of out of uh, logs to throw in the fire because uh, they've still got a f- few more policy uh, fraud tricks up their sleeve. Uh, they're probably going to push through these superannuation deposits for first homeowners and uh, who knows whether they'll they'll reintroduce a buy-to-let type scheme. And the problem is uh, youngsters are surrounded by TV shows um, beckoning them to, uh, to yeah. jump into debt and join the property game. And uh, yeah. now we've got uh, some 35% of first-home buyers are no longer buying for themselves. They're buying as investment properties. Yeah, that's mm. right. So that's why I use this word cannibalism. We're, we're devouring ourselves. And I criticize the concept of the 1% versus the 99%. Uh, and I've done so talking to the Occupy guys in London uh, because it's actually misleading. By concentrating on the 1%, the mega rich, the, the bankers, what we're, what we're doing is distracting ourselves from where the real political power now lies in, in, in our democracies. The real power is with middle-class homeowners. They will be the barrier to our change, not the the mega-rich people, because they don't have the, ultimately, they don't have the numerical clout. They don't have the power. 
uh, yes, they can uh, have media um, access, but most people who would resist what we're talking about are middle class, average homeowners. Uh, so a huge bulk of the rents are going to people like me, and I assume you own your home, in which case you. The mm. capital gains we are making are what we uh, will die protecting. So when we say it's the 99% versus the 1%, it's not. It's the 60%, because in, in this country, 60% of houses are privately owned, versus the, the 30 or 40% who don't own any property at all. So you might want to think on that, Carl. Uh, it, it, the 99 versus the 1 is, is a, was a great headline grabber for the Occupy movement, but it, it, it distracts us from where the real resistance to a land value tax will come from, which is the ordinary homeowner. Mm, well, the figures I've done, we can easily afford to double the pension, so uh, maybe some of those carrots need to be thrown out there. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Carl.